Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, we proudly bring to you out of Studio 212 in the heart of Seattle, Washington, this is Physical Culture Radio. I am your super dope host with the most, Greg Jones, Coach Greg Jones at Instagram and Facebook, along with my super dope host himself, lead Mountain Dog Diet Trainer, Chris Edmonds. We actually have, uh, we're proud to bring you another interviewee today, uh, Mr. Ryan Munty, um, an author of Fuck Your Feelings, co-founder of the Better Human Project, and a gym owner himself. Uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and um, take this introduction a little bit further as you are uh, friends with Mr. Munty, and, uh, and then we'll get right into uh, the nuts and bolts of this. For sure. Yeah, um, you know, Ryan and I grew up, uh, we went to the same high school together, and uh, from there, we actually became friends and training partners uh, through the real world at a gym we used to train at together in Golds, and, you know, I can tell you one thing, uh, any of you guys that are avid listeners of the show, his mindset is going to go right along with Greg and I's um, hard work, dedication, and then passion for all things improving and getting better in life. Um you know, he has a nutrition degree from Clemson. He's a super smart dude. Um, and, you know, I, I'm definitely honored to have him on our show. Uh, thanks for coming, Ryan. Guys, thanks for having me on. That's one of the coolest intros uh, that I've had the pleasure of receiving. <laughs> <laughs> um, excellent. So, you know, we have a bunch of topics we're going to talk to you about today. Um, but I'd like to start uh, at, at really the roots um, of a conversation that you and I have had many a times is, you know, where your early inspirations are for training and nutrition. Where did that come from? Yeah. And I think this is something that has evolved over time as I have evolved. Um, you know, as I look back on getting into training and fitness and nutrition, you know, I, I realized now I wasn't aware of it at the time, but in college, you know, I was, um, I was not happy with the way others perceived me. I wasn't happy with kind of how I went through the world. And I felt like if I could make my exterior look a certain way, that people would start to treat me the way I wanted to be treated or see me the way I wanted to be seen. And, you know, obviously um, that's not the answer. Um, And I only realized that, you know, a few years down the road as I, you know, grew and evolved and kind of got into the, the personal development space and, you know, realized that, you know, the size of your biceps or, you know, the striations in your glutes aren't going to uh, define who you are. Um, but I mean, for me, it was really, I, I was just, I became fascinated very early on with, you know, hey, you could make this small change in what you eat and you can train this way and you can do this and you can manipulate these little variables and you can get, you know, drastically different outcomes and, you know, how you feel, how you perform, how you look. Um, and um, it, it almost became, it definitely became like a therapeutic outlet for me. It was very cathartic to be able to go in and, um, you, know, you and I have talked about this a lot, as you alluded to, kind of a place where we could exercise our mental demons or, you know, get uh, have a have a positive outlet for anger or frustrations or, or whatever kind of came up, um, you know, in our days or in our lives. A hundred percent. You know, that's one of those things like, you know, we touch on all the time, you know, when him and I used to train together, I mean, it was an all-out fucking war against each other. Um, there was no holding back. Um, you know, we by no means were the biggest guys in that facility, but uh, I'm going to tell you, like, people would stare at us and be like, those dudes are fucking crazy. Um, you know, Nobody there wanted to train with us. No, <laughs> no, without a doubt. Um, and, and, you know, I really believe that, I know for me, my background in sports really pushed me to get there. Um, and, and one of my early influences, that, as I spoke in a previous ep- episode, was uh, Coach Tony Hart. I know that's a man who's had some serious impact on your life. Do you mind speaking a little bit about him? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm laughing. I think he made it. Uh, I think he made two appearances in the book. Um, one of them was uh, "Fake It So You Make It." Yep. The other one was uh, one day he sent us home from 
from basketball practice, uh, literally kicked us out and said something like, uh, he, he said, you have homework for the weekend. You have to go home and, and figure out what this quote means. And the quote at the time, uh, none of us could figure it out, but it was uh, discretion is the better part of valor. Yep. Um, you know, trying to ask a 16 year old male to figure that one out is <laughs> good luck. Um, <laughs> right. uh, you know, I'm, I'm north of 30 and I'm still trying to implement and embody what that actually means. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, I mean, Coach Hart was was one of the first to really teach me about intensity and getting after it. And, you know, you, you're not going to, uh, you know, it's you're not going to win the game just because you want to win the game. Like you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to be mean. You're going to have to fight for every uh, you know, every loose ball, every rebound. I know you had Coach Hart in, in football as well, so, you know, fight for every yard or, or whatever it might be. But, man, he, he really was the first to kind of um, show me what intensity and, and work ethic really meant in terms of, you know, the looking at uh, the pursuit of, like, sports and things like that. Yeah, Greg, I, I know you have no idea who this man is. Um, but to kind of put it in perspective, he was, I mean, when you, when you were high school, Ryan, what do you think he was 40, late forties, early fifties? I, right. I know he, I know he had silver hair. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he had to be, and he had a daughter that was older than us right. in high school. Um, so I mean, he had to be, I mean, he was older than our dads. Correct. But I mean, I, I think you probably remember this too. He was a gym coach yep. and we played 21 in gym right. every single day. Yep. And I bet over the span of Two years, he lost maybe ten games. Oh yeah! Like if you beat if you beat Coach Hart in yeah. twenty one, right. if anybody won a game of twenty one in your gym class, the entire school knew about it right. before the next period was over. Without a doubt. I mean, it was that big of a deal. Yeah, this is. I mean, he's just a silver haired old dude, and he just he never missed a free throw. Nope. And he talked right. so much shit. <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, he's he's sitting there. He's he's got a, a polo shirt on. It's tucked into khakis, and he's letting you know about it. He's oh like, yeah, boys. He's like, you guys are supposed to be the varsity basketball team, right. and I'm out here not even breaking a sweat, beating you right. wearing pants, and you know, blah blah blah. I mean, he was a shit talking machine. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Chris and I had a conversation about a week ago about coaching styles and about what coaches do. I was talking about. I brought up Vince Lombardi, and. Um, uh, one of one of my junior football coaches made us uh, or brought to us all the speech what it takes to be number one that Vince Lombardi uh, popularized and um, was really popular in you know in the eighties and nineties and um, the coaching styles of that time and how they differ from today how PE teachers coaches teachers just in general how they cannot. You know, I mean, if you swear, you get fired now. Um, if you, you know, if you have a mouth or if you discipline kids the way they used to discipline us, you, you're not coaching anymore. And we find, I, I, we both kind of agree, and I don't know if you agree with this too, that boys, and I'm not speaking for girls too, although girls need discipline just like boys, but, you know, there's a certain amount of discipline that's good, a certain amount of physicality where, a coach will grab your face mask, tell you to run a lap, maybe throw an F-bomb out there, and it straightens your ass up when you're 8 and 10 and 12 years old and have a smart mouth and want to talk back to coaches and talk back to other players or, or what have you, and and the coaches aren't with it and they're trying to discipline you. And we, we find that there's there's kind of a, you know, for lack of a better word, a pussification effect nowadays that you have to – baby these kids you can't swear you can't you can't discipline and be physical in any manner i mean back when i was a kid playing junior football if you popped off to a coach they would literally kick you in the butt a, a swift kick in the ass and tell you to run a lap and boy you straighten your ass up fast and i'm it wasn't like a malicious beating kick but it was a you know it was it was a kick in the butt or you know uh I hit on the back of the head, take a lap. And um, it, this wasn't like a, you know, if, if, if listeners out there are thinking that this is abuse or something, this wasn't abuse. This was how we got disciplined. And it, I've never hit anybody in my life. So it's not like as players that were disciplined in this manner 
like abused kids and it rolls on down the right. And that's not even what I'm talking about. Um, and w- when you talk about fuck your feelings and um, that effect of, uh, is it throwing, throwing your self-perceived, you know, what you think you have to be uh, as opposed to what you really need to be to show yourself as a role model uh, or just for yourself, or is there a dual implication with this, or kind of kind of go into the what, what the motivation between fuck your feelings actually means? Yeah. So it, the reason for the title, um, yeah, there were there were multiple reasons. One, it, it's always been a version of self talk for me. Um, you know, yeah. I've got phone calls I need to make, or you know you guys are in the gym business. I mean, there's, you know, there's a certain amount of cold calling that you have to do, or you know, just, it, it doesn't matter what business you're in or, or relationships or, you know, anything, you know, there are always going to be tasks or things that we need to accomplish actions that we need to take care of in order to get the desired outcome that we want. And many times we don't feel like doing those things. So it's always just been self-talk, like, dude, fuck your feelings, do what you're supposed to do, do it now and, you know, get it done so that you can get the outcome that you want. Um, and then within the book, uh, there is a neuroscientist, Antonio Damasio, who discovered that as many as 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel in any given moment. Yeah. And so, you know, we can get hung up on whether it's 90 or 85 or 95%. And I always tell people, you know, don't worry about the exact percentage. Anything over 50% is, is absurd to think that 80, 90, 95% of the decisions we make on a daily basis and throughout our life are not made with logic or ration or uh, thought about our values and our goals and what we actually want out of this life, but it's made based on how we feel in any given moment, right? And I know both of you guys and and everybody listening, I mean, you're, you're acutely aware of the fact that if you want to achieve the things that you want to achieve in life, you're going to have to do some shit that you don't really feel like doing all the time. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, fasted cardio in the morning or, you know, weighing and measuring food or, you know, eating something, uh, you know, at a social gathering that, you know, isn't completely convenient or whatever it might be, you know, you, you're just, you're never going to be Richard Branson or an Olympic athlete or Mr. Olympia if you never learn that, you know, how to separate your actions from your feelings. You know, sure. let me tell you guys a great story here. Um, when the first time I trained with John Meadows, Ryan went with me. Um, and we went together to S4. And it was July, and there was no air conditioning in that facility. And, you know, him and I drove up six hours through a fucking derecho. Um, <laughs> like, trees were literally folding down on the road beside us. And we were like, dude, why is there no cars out here? I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> we're going through a hurricane. <laughs> foot long trees are just across the road we're like kind of kind of a good thing that we were 30 seconds later yeah right right so greg i want you to envision this we get there to s4 on saturday morning at like 8 30 right john jumps out of his hummer veins bulging out of his entire body because he's like three weeks out and we're sitting at the table like putting our shoes on drinking a spike and like my adrenaline's going like it's freaking game day right <clears throat> like i'm about to yeah. strap a helmet on and hit somebody and, dude, I'll never forget what you said to me. You looked me right in the eyes and you said, we've been here a million fucking times. It's time to show these old men what we got. And that embodies what you just described, in my opinion. Um, you know, yep. we, we could have rolled over and tapped out after the 20th set of squat that we did. Um, but it, it wasn't. It was just because we were in a different environment, just because we were with higher level athletes than we currently trained with, didn't mean that we couldn't go in there and give max effort. Um, and that's something I'll always remember. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, look, you know, we do the best we can for our current level of development. And, you know, you and I probably couldn't squat then what we can now. Um, well, I probably don't squat what I did then, but you mm-hmm. probably squat more. But um, 
no, I mean, the point is, I mean, that's, those were guys that we looked up to at the time. They were guys that we read and listened to. And, you know, that was our chance to show them, you know, who we are, you know, we knew who they were. We know what they're made of. And, you know, they don't have any uh, experience of reading us or or listening to us. So that was our chance to show them, you know, who we are, what we're made of. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to back down. I wasn't going to show them anything less than what I wanted to know, wanted them to know of me. Well, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, let's kind of change gears here a little bit, man. Um, you know, a few listeners out there, uh, Ryan uh, owned and operated a gym called House of Strength, um, which after he left Golds to start that and run it um, very effectively and efficiently, what were your biggest takeaways of managing and running your own facility in comparison to working for a larger corporate gym? Oh, man. Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> No, exactly. I, yeah, I think, that's a big can of worms. <laughs> it is. Um, I think in the at the highest, like most zoomed out level, it, it was a dream come true. It was amazing. Um, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, incredibly rewarding and, and an incredibly great experience. Um, you know, when you're in um, a facility, whether it's Gold's or, or any other facility. Um, one of the limitations that I saw was that I could only help somebody if they were a member of that facility, you know, and by moving to my own place, I was now able to help anybody in the city. Uh, I just had to get them to the facility and then, you know, I could figure out a way to make it work for them. Um, you know, I also was able to do things online and and reach people outside of, you know, where we were in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, you know, so, so just, I've always been a person who's struggled with authority. Um, I, you know, that's just my personality. That's kind of how I tick. So, you know, that's not everybody, but if you're one of those people, then, you know, doing it yourself or for yourself, um, it it just gives you more of that locus of control. Um, And, you know, it was, there were also some challenges. Um, I think the one thing that I find myself pointing out the most is you you hear this advice in business all the time uh, to not work in your business, but to work on your business. And I followed that blindly. And I would actually caution people to evaluate that statement and evaluate that advice. Um, Ask yourself why you started the business that you started if you're a business owner in the first place. And the reason I say this is because for me, you know, I ran the gym from 2012 to 2016 um, and eventually sold it and, and got out of it. Um, and by the time I did, I wanted to burn it down. I hated it. I hated being in there. I hated owning it. I hated everything about it. And part of that was because I followed that advice. I became a person who owned a business and worked on the business. Uh, all I did was marketing and website stuff and payroll and management and taxes and scheduling and customer service. The one thing I didn't get to do was the one thing that I started it to do. And that was coach people and coach people my way. Right. And so that's the reason I caution people against that advice because by by intentionally, purposefully taking myself out of the business, I removed myself from doing the one thing I wanted to do. Um, so, I mean, that's my biggest lesson from owning it and, and running it and doing that. Um, you know, if you're a coach, if you start a business to be a coach, you know, make sure that you are staying a coach. You know, if what I should have done was outsource, you know, the, the financials and I should have outsourced, you know, some of the other things taken those off of my plate, the things that I didn't want to do so that I could do more of what I wanted to do. That's a huge statement, you know, because coming from the gym that we did, um, I didn't realize until I, until I pulled out that how much of a slave I was to that corporate mentality, that philosophy. I mean, if you think about the kind of music they played in, that, in the gym, I mean, it was like top 40s. Um, uh-huh. You know, you had to be politically correct probably 70 to 80 percent of the time um and, until i stepped away from that i, I really feel like and I, i'm sure you did too like i actually became a better coach because i wasn't being held down and told i was supposed to act or dress or look a certain way 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, being able to, when, I mean, it was literally my facility. So I was right. able to just start from scratch and say, you know, what are the attributes of a physical fitness program that are important to me? Right. You know, and then, you know, because I, I, when you and I were at Goals, we always used to bitch about not having certain equipment. You know, right. We want to be able to do this movement pattern or this exercise. We want to be able to help people with this, but we're limited. Um, you know, those those things are, are barriers that you can remove when it's your facility because you can literally start from scratch and say, this is what's important to me. This is how I think movement should go and look. This is how I want to coach it. This is how I want to teach it. This is what I want people to be able to do. And now I can set up a facility that is conducive to that. Um, you know, so so it does, in that sense, make you uh, a better coach in the way that you think about this thing holistically. But then also, you know, when you program, um, you know, I had to get very creative in the beginning because. You know, I wasn't starting with capital, so I didn't have everything I wanted in the beginning. Um, I actually went from where we were at Golds to a place that had less space and less equipment, and I was doing more people at a time instead of one person at a time. So I had to get super creative. I had to be super efficient with exercise selection and programming. Um, I had to really focus on client retention. So, you know, workouts that people loved, make sure they get the results. Um, it, it did in so many different ways. It made me a better coach uh, because like you alluded to, I mean, when you're at Gold's and somebody signs a contract, if for better or for worse, I'd, I'd love to tell you I didn't think this way, but there is a certain element of uh, taking things for granted or kind of, um, you know, putting things on autopilot when you're in that situation of, I call it employee mindset versus entrepreneur mindset. Right. Yeah. 100%. I mean, that's, you know, it, go ahead, Greg. It, it's funny you talk about uh, being an owner and wearing all kinds of different hats. One of the topics that Chris and I were actually going to talk about in, in, in an upcoming episode is how to run a PT business or to get some kind of a fitness industry um, uh, to work for you as, as, as a life job. And um, I'm at the kind of same phase that you were in 2016 where, you know, when you run these kind of things, when you start your own gym and you don't have a, a huge amount of investment capital behind you, you're going to wear a lot of hats. You're going to be the trainer. You're going to be the marketing guy. You're going to do taxes. You're going to, you know, bookkeeping month to month. You're going to sign memberships. You're going to do customer service. It gets overwhelming. I get that. I, 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 I'm there, and I actually do that in a couple different gyms right now. And I think you're going to the next phase, whether you – and I don't know exactly what your next phase in the Better Human Project or what you do now with, with – with, when you phased out and sold out of your uh, gym and in, in ownership. But a lot of people need to understand that when you get into this thing and you run some kind of a facility, unless you have a comptroller, unless you have a marketing you know, person, unless you pay trainers and front desk and have all this stuff, accounting, have all this stuff done for you, you're going to be doing a lot of this stuff yourself. How did you transition from selling and then what you do now? And what does that look like for you now on a day-to-day basis in your life? Well, it's, there have been several iterations since then. So um, the end of 2015 is when I closed the doors uh, for my facility. And uh, the transition was... Um, kind of a a stair step process. So I ended up for the first six months of 2016, uh, I kept my largest class, um, which happened to be my 6 p.m. class. And I taught that class at one of the CrossFits that kind of split the swallowing of, of my place. So I coached one group of people for six months. um, And then as I, transition so so for all of 2015 i actually hosted a podcast for a company called natural stacks it was the optimal performance podcast so they were paying me to run that podcast yeah as as i was transitioning out of the gym and then the skills that i developed in running my own business you know some of the 
we've already touched on, you know, marketing and, and blogging, basically digital content. Um, I became the digital content person for that company. Um, and then actually moved into wholesale as well. Um, so I, I was with them for two years through the end of 2017. Um, I spoke um, at a couple of different events and, you know, got to do some really fun stuff with them. And um, I hosted the podcast all the way through. And then I wrote the book in 2017. And then at the end of 2017, going into 2018, as the book was going to come out, uh, you know, parted ways with them and started Better Human Project uh, so that my podcast would be my own and not something owned by somebody else. Um, and then, like I said, the book came out, podcast came out, and then everything was kind of my own from 2018 on again. Okay. And so, so you're doing that podcast currently? You have a podcast? Yes, The Better Human Project. So, oh, okay. And, yep, yep. And so that's with a co-founder, Ryland Hormel. Um, he and I met. Uh, he um, was a listener of the previous show and had reached out and asked you know, if I needed help with uh, digital uh, content. He's a great photographer and videographer. He actually has a company that does that called Visual Roots. And so he came on to help me with um, photos and, and digital content for the book. And then the more we got to talking, the more we realized we shared a lot of values. And uh, so we ended up setting up this new podcast together. And uh, so, I mean, you asked about on a daily basis now, um, you know, the podcast itself isn't monetized. Um, but we have a lot of fun with it. We're putting out, you know, some content that we feel like is designed to help our audience be better and do better. And the questions that we're really asking are, you know, with all of this personal development, you know, to what end are we pursuing these things? You know, is it a selfish pursuit or are we actually using these tools that we're developing to make the world or, or our families or our communities a better place? Uh, and then, you know, so it's, Book sales, uh, speaking, consulting, um, you know, so no two days really, uh, no two days are the same. Um, you know, I kind of get up, I'm, I'm up by seven every day, I'm, I'm working and, um, you know, some days it's more phone calls than others, some days it's more emails than others, so there's a lot of travel, um, I get to speak and work with a lot of amazing people, um, Olympic and professional athletes, special forces operators, um, high-level business people uh, it, it's a blast I, I you know, Chris and I were talking a little bit before we hit record that you know he's doing exactly what he wants to do and you know I feel like I'm I'm really blessed that I get to do the same and, and work with people who share our mindset people who are you know uh, committed to success and when I enter their lives I have a few different things that I can add to their skill set or, or point out that that help them uh, fill in the gaps where they need help, and uh, yeah, it, it's a blast. All right, Greg, let me let me tell you a little backstory here. You know, the, yeah. the time Ryan and I spent uh, together at Gold's to me was really valuable, um, and, and I'll tell you why. It was something I learned from him was he was very unapologetic about his thoughts on life, his thoughts about how you're supposed to train in the gym, his nutrition strategies. Like, I can't tell you how many times him and I would be at a work event or we'd have a staff meeting or we'd be out with our girlfriends at the time, now wives, and we'd be eating in a Tupperware, him and I. And when I met him, I would always feel this need of, like, social convention to be like, ah, you know, I'm just not going to have that and I'd apologize for it. What I learned from him was he was like, fuck you. I don't care what your thoughts are. I'm going to eat my, you know, tuna and rice at a Tupperware because I care about what goes into my body. Um, right. <laughs> and... <laughs> it's just the truth. Like I can't tell you how many times him and I spent just simply talking about, you know, our client experiences, how we get the most out of people. And Ryan, what made me think about that to kind of get into the segue to the story is, you know, you said, what do the people do with once you teach them how to succeed? And one of the topics we used to touch on was, is that, is that ability to succeed? Is that, are you born with that? Or are you, can you learn that skill or the people who don't have it can't achieve it? Has your mindset changed on that? Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely something that can be developed. Okay. I think there has to be a desire. Um, so I like to remind people that comfort is the enemy of motivation. And I think a lot of the individuals that we would think of in our little hypothetical thought experiment, 
um, you know, the, the individuals that we think of who can't change or won't make the behavior change or uh, make the habit change or the schedule change or whatever the thing is that we're talking about. If those individuals were in a situation where they were more uncomfortable than they are now, they would do the thing that they're not doing. Um, so let me get to try to give you an example of that is, um, you know, let's say uh, this is a topic that came up the other day was uh, I'm a huge fan of cold exposure, cold showers, right. cold tubs, ice plunge, whatever. Um, and, you know, if I went to a, a new client and was like, you know, look, and I'm not saying this is the answer. This is not how it works. But let's just say that I told them, hey, in order to reach all of your goals, all you have to do is do this cold tub for 20 minutes a day, every single day, right? How many people are going to just still say no and not do that? I would say over, right. over, over 80%. Easy. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. So now let's say that this individual in our, in our thought exercise, it, let's say they're a parent. And I say, okay, let's change the rules. And let's say that your child's life depends on you doing this. Yep. I'd say over 80% of them are now jumping in that cold tub immediately. Hands down. Right. So it's all about your level of, of comfort and, and how that impacts our motivation. So I would argue that the people who are not able to, um, and, and this is a rule that um, is, is in the book too. Uh, I, I don't, I didn't allow people at my facility to say the words, I can't. Uh, the penalty for saying I can't was 10 no handed burpees. <laughs> right. Uh, and those are not fun. No. <laughs> um, so it wasn't about the burpees, it was about behavior modification therapy. It was about teaching people that saying I can't means I'm not willing to. It's the same thing as saying I won't. So if somebody says I can't do that. Well, there's a difference between physically not being able to right now, not having that ability, but, but working on it yep. and choosing not to do something. So I, as I'm going through this, you can tell I'm intentionally trying to not use the word can't. But for the person <laughs> who chooses not to make this change, um, it's, it's simply a matter of, of developing desire or motivation. Look, if somebody wants to change bad enough, they're going to. Um, you know, so so in that sense, it's it's helping them develop the skill set and the mindset, uh, the the understanding and the awareness of what's going on between their ears, to sort of help them, uh, you know, develop that. For the people who have it, it's the most transferable skill in the world. Yep. Yeah. Right. If if you can apply it to, and, and this is the thing, like you know, Chris and I, we, we've talked about this for years. I mean. For me, it was, it literally started with, with food. It was the ability to say, I don't care how I feel, you know, I'm going to eat this at this time. Like, I don't care, you know, what the social construct says or, you know, what, whatever. Like it was, it, you know, it, and, and sure, like from the outside, you may look at it as like a, a dysfunctional relationship with food and, and there's body dysmorphia. There's stuff around it that, that shaped kind of my uh, you know my experience but the bottom line is that's kind of where I honed it it was and that's one of the reasons that Chris and I always pushed so hard in the gym yep. you know was we knew that if we could push ourselves to do things in the gym that others couldn't or that we didn't want to that that was a transferable skill yep. you know if I can make myself do a widowmaker set of squats you know I can take that mindset and I can apply it to making cold calls for business or, you know, having a hard conversation with, you know, a loved one or whatever the thing is, um, you know, and I think that's the beautiful thing is once you develop this uh, high performance mindset or, or whatever you want to name it, it's such a transferable skill that you can literally do anything that you want to do. Oh, I think, yeah. yeah, I think, and I think what you're talking about is self-imposed limitations that we put upon ourselves. So people just limit themselves. And that blanket statement, I can't, the reason, and I was, my, my junior football coach actually brought that same thing up. I think you guys both had it. You, you, you get taught not to use and put that in your vocabulary because it's, it's, you're, you're limiting yourself. You're, you're, you're self-imposing a limitation upon yourself that you cannot 
do something because you think you cannot physically, mentally, whatever it is. And um, I, I think that's like half over half the battle to begin with. Um, so once you get rid of that philosophy, um, I think it opens up a lot of things for you, whether in, whether it's eating, whether it's working out, whether it's in business, whether it's growing, you know, in relationships. Um, and, and, and I feel like so many people do that. So many people limit themselves. They come in and they, and they say, you know, I, I, I can do these workouts, but I just can't do the nutrition. I can't do, I can't measure all my meals. I can't eat six times a day. It's too hard. I've got this, I've got that, I've got little Johnny at home, I've got this work schedule. And then they give themselves a myriad of different excuses and reasons why they can't instead of just saying, you know what, I'll, I'm going to try. You know, and he, I'm going to make and I'm gonna make the fucking effort to do this. Here's here's yeah. what I here's what I fear, guys, and and this is gonna break make it sound crazy, but I fear that like Darwinism is is escaping us, right? Like if you look around a gym these days, no one's fucking training hard anymore. Like I mean, sweat pouring off of them, muscles burning. I don't care what your modality of exercise. It could be kettlebell swings. It could be sprinting on a treadmill. It could be doing squats or leg press or bench press till you can't stand up. Like. We've gotten so like technology driven that the weak are no longer dying, and that's a, that's an extreme example. Um, but you know, it's becoming. You, you, and I think about this on multiple levels, not just in the gym, but like you can now like order food from Kroger and they'll put it in your car for you. Like that just kind of blows my mind. <laughs> uh, I mean, the the amount of convenience that technology has brought to our lives. I mean, you, you don't even have to show up at Kroger. I mean, you can have stuff delivered to your house now. Right. Uh, it's crazy. It's funny. As soon as you said Darwinism is escaping us, I, I have a shirt on the back. It says, bring back natural selection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to order one of those and have it shipped to you as a gift. <laughs> I mean, I think people, I mean, like, you, you don't even guys, consider you that. You hear something funny? Ursa just happened last week. You guys are familiar with the big Ursa conference that goes on every year? No. No, it's the big either. fitness. It's the big fitness and technology conference. They have a fucking suit now. You can put on this suit. They're super expensive. It's developed. It's it was developed in Europe. You put on this suit, and it's it's a. It, they're like fifty thousand dollars right now. The technology will come down and make it cheaper. But this was displayed at Ursa, where you put on this giant suit, and it's one big uh, electrical stimulation thing. So you hop in this thing, and it gives you a workout. And I don't know whether you go 20 minutes or 30 minutes, but it stimulates all your muscle muscles, and then you get out of the suit, and it's like you've had a two-hour workout. And it's funny because, uh, to me, you know, it just lends to that, okay, let's find a technology-driven way to make this shit easier for everyone so they don't have to work hard or adhere to the things that, you know, might take a little bit more work, but can be achieved at nonetheless. And I don't even know the efficacy of this thing and how it's going to play out or if it's even going to make its way to all gyms or just very select or if it's even, you know, again, you know, worth, worth its salt at all. But um, the, the, the funny thing is, is people try to look for easier ways to get through things and to do things. And, and I think you're completely right when you say that. Um, I mean, it, it just, ahead, it, it scares me that I would be willing to say that 60 or more percent of the American population can't do a singular pull-up. Um, and yeah. I know people say, oh, it's this dumb meathead who lives for workouts. But like, if you can't pull yourself off of a ledge, like you you need to die. Like, I don't know. It blows my mind. <laughs> I mean, that, that's to me, like, I mean, uh, I'm a huge fan of Dan John and I love a lot of his ex extremely simple uh, standards. And, you know, one of them is like holding a plank for two minutes. Right. Right. And if you can't hold your body up for two minutes or like you said, Chris, if you can't do a pull up, <laughs> there's some there's some physical like the human body is designed to be able to accomplish those tasks. Right. <laughs> right. Like if the world, if the modern world that we live in today, you know, didn't exist as it does, those humans would have a hard time surviving and providing for themselves or others. Um, 
does that make them shitty humans? No, but it does mean that, you know, we need to pay some attention to, you know, the physical health of that body. Um, you know, and, and yes, is there a mindset that is, uh, kind of married to or part and parcel with that physical decline in a lot of people? Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that's, what's the most scary, um, you know, going back to the, the I can't equals I won't, I think the I won't is just as important. You know, making people admit that what they're really saying is I won't, because that puts the responsibility back on us. And like you were saying yeah. earlier, Greg, with this person, you know, listing all these uh, excuses as to why they can't do something, um, you know, it's not that you can't, it's that you're choosing not to, you don't want to, or you're not going to. And, and that's a huge difference. It may sound like semantics, but it's really accepting responsibility for your choices. And that is a huge, huge step. Um, and again, it, it's it's part of everything else that we're talking about here. You know, if somebody says, well, I can't do a pull-up, like, can you not do a pull-up? Or, like, have you not done the work required to be able to do a pull-up? Yeah. Right. Or you've eaten yourself out of the way of being able to do one. <laughs> Charles Poliquin said, if you can't take a person within a few short months and get them to do a couple pull-ups, bodyweight pull-ups um, on their own, then you're, you're failing as coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had a lot of great one-liners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have either of you guys seen that uh, documentary on National Geographic called Free Solo? Yeah. Greg, have you seen that? I know. What, so what it, it's a dude, Alex, um, who Honnold, there you go. Yes. Who, um, he climbs El Cap 3,200 feet with no ropes, no safety, nothing. Uh-huh. Um, it's craziness. If you, you need to spend two hours watching it, what I learned from that, and I have a lot of my clients watch that is that's his passion. He lives for that. He breathes for it. And he doesn't care if he dies achieving that. Um, yeah. To, to be a spoiler, he, he achieves it because they made the video and he didn't die. So, and they published it. So, you know, it's, it's mind boggling to me to think that someone can conquer their fear of climbing a granite slab that basically has less than an inch foot and handholds and do it over the course of four hours and be perfect. Um, like my, yeah. my takeaway from that is not only did he conquer it physically, the mental fear of if I screw up once in four hours, my, my life is over. Um, like that's what I took away from it. What, what did you think about that, Ryan? Yeah, I, I think it's an impressive accomplishment. Um, I, I can relate, um, to a lot of his mindset, but, but there's also a lot of it that, that I looked at and I think that. I, I hope that he is an individual who lives many more years. Right. Uh, you know, as, as we've seen a lot of people in that community not live uh, very long lives. Uh, I hope that he doesn't have any accidents. Uh, I hope that he lives long enough to continue to develop and, you know, that this becomes a part of his life, not the entirety of his life. Right. Yeah. Um, because what I saw was an individual who is still young and is still defining himself by his accomplishments within uh, his chosen pursuit. And yes, there's absolutely a ton of um, singular focus and and work ethic that that is there to be respected and and can be learned from. Um, But I just, I also still see an individual who um, is still growing and developing as a person. Um, and you know, I think this is just a snapshot of where he is in his life. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how he, he grows and develops what he does from here. Um, yeah. One of the craziest takeaways from that is, I don't know if you remember when, when he, the, the, one of the movie producers asked him, so what's next? He had just finished climbing and he was like, well, I'm gonna go back to my van and do arm hangs uh, or finger holds. And let's like, yeah. the, you know, I always wondered like, you know, so he accomplished, accomplished El Cap like what's next? And Greg, I know you and I see this in the bodybuilding world. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to use some crazy numbers here. You know, if you run two grams of gear and you win a show, well, what if I, what if I run three or what if I run four or what if I take my growth right. to 20 I use? Like, 
that is also something I got out of that video was, you know, yes, he achieved perfection in climbing that mountain, but at the same time, like, where's he going to get his next fix? Like what's going to be the next extreme thing he does? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to me, like, okay, so, so maybe what he did does inspire a lot of people, but if that's his greatest accomplishment in life, you know, when he passes away, is is he going to be happy with that as what goes on his tombstone? Maybe he will. You know, for me, and this was something that was a huge part of my development, just right around 2012 when I started my facility, was, you know, when I was in modeling, you know, I defined myself by body composition, body fat percentage, you know, what I looked like. Um, when I got done with that, I got heavily into like powerlifting and, and, you know, I I defined myself by what I could squat or what I could bench. And, you know, when I started the gym, I I had some mentors that that kind of showed me the error of those thought processes. And, you know, if, if I had died at that point in my life, who was going to come to my funeral? What was my legacy going to be? What's going to go on my funeral? Like, or what's going to go on my tombstone? Are they really going to say, Oh dude had low body fat. Dude had some good abs. <laughs> but, but guess what? He's rotten and now they're gone, you know, right. or you know what? Uh, dude squatted 700 pounds raw. Awesome. Cool. What'd you do with the rest of your life? How many people did you help? Like what impact did you make? Like, you know, who were you? And, yeah. and so like, that's, that's part of the conversation that I'm always having internally with myself, you know, and and trying to help others look beyond, you know, their pursuit. And I think that's kind of what I was alluding to with this guy, Alex, is, you know, for all of us, you know, what we choose to do, um, our our vocation uh, doesn't define us. It's not who we are. It's just what we do. Um, Now, we may get a lot of pleasure from it. We may get a lot of, you know, great life experiences from it. We may love it. But, you know, ultimately, if we let that define us, you know, that's why you see so many athletes have uh, mental health issues when they're finished with their careers. Or like Chris said, you know, you're always chasing the next high. Yep. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a very slippery slope from an emotional development, uh, emotional intelligence standpoint. I mean, I would argue that both you and I blew our backs out doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's extreme, I know. But, you know, you and I chased that next day, that next day of punishment for, you know, a, a few years, every single week, every single workout. Um, yeah, or just, you know, I, I would trade tomorrow for 1% more today. Right. Yep. And, you know, that's how I used to be then. And, and fortunately for me then and for you back then, you know, that, that mistake led to, you know, at worst, like maybe four weeks of, you know, having to take it easy. Right. You know, look at look at somebody like Alex and, and like you said, I mean, if he made a mistake, like there is no tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's that's yeah. really huge. You know, I it, a lot of us have been real blessed to our what our advocation in is kind of turns into our vocation. So we've been blessed uh, to be able to take, you know, what we highly advocate and turn it into a vocation. A lot of people that's completely separate and compartmentalized into two different things. You know, somebody may do CrossFit or, you know, get into fitness and do a bikini show or figure if they're a woman. Um, And then their job is completely different. You know, some people run their own businesses and are advocates for what they do, whether it be fitness or, you know, marketing. And then, you know, that's their passion. So I think, you know, uh, a take home for the listeners is, you know, if you are passionate about something and want to turn it into an advocation, seek out experts, seek out somebody like, like a Ryan Muncy who has turned this into a job in the way that he wanted to turn it into a job um, and kind of taken, leveled up and gone to the next level with it. Uh, but I think passion is good. Uh, until it's not, or it's, you know, until it's detrimental until it's too much and it overtakes you. So there's, I, I, I feel like there's a fine line in some of these things. If you look at, if you look at some of the best powerlifters ever, the Dave Tate, the Travis Nash and the Ed Cones and the Louis Simmons, and these guys are messed up. 
a lot of these guys are messed up and can, you know, aren't walking too well anymore. So, you know, there, there's a, there's a limit that the human body can take. You know, you achieve something like this guy climbing up the granite slabs with a, with an inch of handholds and takes four hours to do. You do that, you accomplish it. Cool. Get on to the next thing. And what is the next thing? And does it need to be once you've accomplished that or, you know, your genetic ceiling or limitation of what, what you can do body wise, then how can you help other people achieve it? Uh, and, and, and push that, you know, into society rather than just taking it to another extreme for yourself. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to, correct? Yeah, that's well summarized. You know, yeah. I think all three of our fears would be, or personal hells, would be showing up to work with a suit and tie on in a cubicle under fluorescent lights doing accounting or, you know, fill in the blank. Just yeah. being a menial, like your, your day-to-day job, someone could do it for you. Um, I, I, that's, I, what, that's what drove John Meadows. He was sick of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, our goal is to see how many people we can impact and change their life for the positive and show them that, listen, everyone in your life may tell you you're not capable of this, but you are. Um, and, you know, if we can wrap this thing up here, Ryan, if you could say anything to our listeners that was impactful in your life, that changed your mindset, you know, what would you say it would be? Final question. Well, I don't want to say like the super cliche thing, but I mean, what you just said is is so true. I mean, I, I truly believe there's nothing we cannot do if we're willing to put in the work and do it and accomplish it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I would just piggyback on what you just said. And, you know, if there's something out there that you know you want to do, if there's that thing that burns inside of you, uh, you know what it is. It's the thing that you're thinking about right now, um, you know, do it, chase it, make it happen. Um, that's yeah. probably why you were here. Yeah. Absolutely. So guys, uh, listen and tune in to the better human project. Ryan Muncy. We want to thank you for coming on today, Ryan. Um, this has been very insightful. And, uh, for those of you that, uh, want to read the book, it's up your feelings, um, by Ryan Muncy. And then his podcast is The Better Human Project again. Uh, for Chris Edmonds, I am Greg Jones, and thanks a lot for listening to another episode of Physical Culture Radio, guys.